Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you today. I know it's um, pretty subtle, but if you look around, you can probably tell that we're talking about money. And uh, I want to read our theme verse for this series. It's found in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. Here's what it says. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This verse is addressing probably the top question that's asked uh, about money uh, over time, and that is, do I have enough? Do I have enough money? And you'd think that the answer to this question would be uh, a simple one, either yes, I've got enough money, or no, I don't have enough money. But what this verse is saying is it's not the amount of money that we have that answers the do I have enough question. It's the relationship that we have with money that really determines the answer to this question. What it's saying is that if if money shifts from something that we we use, something that we need, to something that we love, well, then the answer is always going to be no. You're never going to have enough. And that's because money is a high-maintenance relationship. If you love money, the demands that money will make on your life, on your time, on your thoughts, on your emotions, will just increase over time. But in return for all of that investment, your personal satisfaction is going to go down, not up. That's what this is saying. You'll never be satisfied with your income. Now, God has given us money not to make us miserable, not to make us dissatisfied. He intends the money he gives us to be a source not only of providing for our needs, but a source of blessing, not a source of grief. And it's the decision to ignore God as the rightful owner of everything that we have, and then to do whatever we want with our money that causes all of this dissatisfaction. It's to love money over God that causes this. Now, as managers, as stewards of all that God has given us, there really are only three categories of decisions that we can make in what we do with our money. We've talked about these, but let me review. We can spend it, we can save it or invest. Those are kind of the same category. Or we can give it. This is all you can do with the money that goes through your hands. Spending goes to the present. Savings goes to the future. And giving goes to another future other than your own. Now, our order of priority is what? Spending is number one. We are a consumer economy. What that means is we are continually encouraged to spend more and more and more. Now, naturally, we don't need a lot of encouragement, but boy, we get it. And so spending is at the top of our priority list, naturally. And then maybe savings would be number two. And then if we've spent enough and if we've saved enough, then we might consider giving what's left over. The problem is if spending's at the top of our priority, then money is going to dominate our lives. We are going to love money. It's going to take over. And so God has a different order. God says, no, the the top in the priority is giving, because giving is the only thing that counters the natural tendency for spending to rise to the top. So giving is number one in God's mind. And then saving, preparing for the future, and then spending. Now, we've considered in the last couple of weeks how to to move um, giving into the number one position, how to make that a priority, what that looks like. We've talked about how to Uh, control and put fences around our spending. Elliot last week talked about how to get out of debt, and today I want to address the savings part of this equation. Proverbs 21, verse 20 says this, In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours 
all he has. This was written when uh, there wasn't a lot of money as, as a transaction for um, the economy at the time. It was mostly an agricultural economy. And so if you were going to save, it was probably going to be uh, food that was stored, uh, oil that was stored. That was how you would save for the future. But a foolish person, well, they, they just consume everything that they have. Now, the average American right now saves about 5% of their income. In the Netherlands, it's about 7%. In France, it's 12%. In China, the average person saves 22% of their income. They're at the top. Now, why is it that we are near the bottom? Why, why do we save so little? Well, it's because of spending. As I said, we're a consumer-driven economy. So we are busy buying stuff that the Chinese make, and then they're saving 22% of that. <laughs> we keep thinking of something else that we want or something else that we are told and we agree that we probably deserve and could use. And by the time we get done with all of our consuming, there, there's just nothing left to save. And God has one word for that, and the word is foolish. The reason it's foolish is because the future is coming, and we don't know what it's going to bring. And if we've not set aside anything to prepare for the unknown future, we're foolish. Now, we are not to fear the future, but we are to prepare for the future. And we prepare financially for the future by saving for it. So this morning, I want to share with you three whys and three hows. Three reasons we should save and three ways to save. So first of all, the whys. Why should I save? Now, no one, of course, can see the future. We have no idea what's going to happen in the future. But we know that at least three things are coming. Three categories are, are going to emerge out of the future. We don't know exactly at what time and in what shape, but we know these three are going to happen. The first is we know that winter is coming. We know that there's going to be a time when our ability to earn or the resources are going to dry up. A financial winter will, will occur. So we need to save for that. Proverbs 6, verse 6 through 8 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. You'll learn something from the ant. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. So even the ant, Scripture says, understands that winter is coming and sets aside provisions for the time when you can't just go out and find food as an ant. Food has got to be stored up for that. Now, the, the lie of consumer debt that is pretty much running our economy right now is that it gets you to think of only one time frame, and that time frame is monthly. The question is, can you afford it? And the answer is, can you afford the monthly payment? That's the only question that's really being driven right now. How much can you afford monthly? And if you can't afford it monthly, if you can pay the $20 or the $100 or the $300 a month or whatever it is, then you can afford this. But only a fool thinks that the way things are this month is the way things are always going to be. That you can just take this month and duplicate it for years and just expect that that's the way it's always going to be. Even the ants, Scripture says, they know better than that. Just because it's summer and there's just food all around or it's fall and there's harvest, they know that this is just a season. Winter is coming. Now, no one tells them that this is going to occur. They, they just know this instinctually. So when it's harvest time, they store up food. Now, winter is the time, as I said, when resources dry up. 
And it's the season that we need to prepare for. We just never know when it's going to happen. You know, unlike the climate seasons, you know, we can look at the calendar, maybe not here in Southern California, but most parts of the world, we can kind of look at the calendar and see, well, this is fall and this is winter. But financial and matters and economies, they, they, don't, they don't put out a calendar. So you don't know, look, I've got three months to get ready for my financial winter. You just don't know what's going to come. Let me show you a graph of the 100-year history of the stock market. You've probably seen this. But this is what the stock market has done over about the last 100 years uh, since its inception. And every time you see a dip, what you're seeing is a financial winter, at least in the stock market. Now, no one really could predict those. Now, some get lucky and guess, and then they're called wise until they miss the next one. But nobody knows when the next winter is coming. You know, before the year 2000, there was 12 years of harvest in the stock market. And it looked like winter was just never going to come, but it always does, and it did. Now it's been almost 10 years. Why? Don't you remember the last financial winter? That was a dark winter. And the stock market, of course, the stock market, of course, is just one glance at the financial seasons. It's just one way of looking at how things are going in the economy. It could be that the economy is going and and booming, and the stock market is performing, but the industry that you're in is, is going through a lot of change and shift. Well, this happens. Maybe you, your career is in something that, boy, the global economy is, is shifting, and boy, what you're doing for work is probably not got a future to it. Back in my 20s, I worked as a printing press operator for a couple of years. There's not very many printing press operators right now. I mean, there are a few, but not many. You know, with the advent of the Internet and online presence and the digital media and all those kinds of things, there's, there's not as much being printed as there was back then. I know people that invested in and had businesses that they had to shut them down. And this happens with industries over time. You know, maybe you're, you're going to face a, a need to change, and that's going to be a financial winter for you. Now, not only do economies and industries experience winter, so do we personally. We will all come to the season of our own winter when we can't work any longer. And we need to be smart, like the ants, and save for the time when either we can't find work or we're not able to work. So winter is coming. We need to save. The second thing that's coming is opportunity is coming. There's opportunities in the future that you're not aware of right now. Opportunities that you can only take advantage of if you've set aside some money to take advantage of them with. For example, maybe there'll be an opportunity to help someone with a need. You're not aware of that opportunity right now, maybe five months from now, maybe a couple of years from now, but it might be a situation or a person where you would really like to help them. But if you've not set aside any money, you've got nothing in savings, you may not be able to help them at all or in the way that you would like to help them. Maybe there's gonna be an opportunity in the future to, to purchase something at a discount. You know, whenever economies contract, when they decline, boy, cash is king. You can buy things at a discount if you've got cash because, boy, people that are over-leveraged, they have to sell things. Maybe there's an opportunity to, to buy a car at a discount or buy some resources at a discount that, boy, if you don't have anything set aside, well, you just have to watch that discount go. Or maybe there'll be an opportunity for you to give to something really important in the future. And if you don't have anything set aside, you won't be able to give to that. You know, when we were raising money to purchase this property years ago, 
There were many people that came up to me at that point and said, you know, we, we really wished we could give to this, but we had no idea this opportunity was going to come up, and, and we don't, we're not in a position financially where we can give anything to it. I said, well, that's fine. Oh, I understand. But they were, they were sad. They really wanted to help with this opportunity. Now, we couldn't five years earlier say, hey, I just want to let everyone know that probably in about five years from now, there's going to be a unique opportunity for us to purchase a racket club. And we're only going to have a three-month window of time to raise the cash for enough for a down payment to see whether we can do this or not. So you've got five years, so get ready for that. We had no idea. It all happened very quickly. And I stood before the church and said, we've got 90 days. So let us know what God is prompting you to give. And those of us who were able to give to that, I mean, we're, we're going to go to our grave with a smile on our face knowing that we got a chance to give to the purchase of a property that our prayer is God might use this to bless this community for generations. That, that was a three-month opportunity. There's going to be other opportunities, I'm sure, but that one is gone. And if you were there and you got a chance to be part of that, you're excited that you got to be a part of that. But that's, that's going to require money set aside in order to do that. Now, if you're a parent, one of your great opportunities is going to be to bless your family, maybe even after you're gone. Proverbs 13.22 says, A good person leaves an inheritance for his children's children, to the grandchildren even. Now, last year, my aunt died, and she left an inheritance for her seven nieces and nephews. And it, was, it wasn't big. It was just a few thousand dollars. But boy, for us, last year, at the time that that money came, it really helped us address some unforeseen things that came up that we had not really been aware that was going to come. And she had been setting aside money faithfully over the decades. We had no idea. So that now, after she's gone, she blessed all of us. And I've heard from, you know, my cousins and my siblings, and everyone's got kind of a unique story of how our aunt blessed us this past year. I mean, what a privilege to be able to do that to your family, to the ones that you love. But again, if, if you're not setting anything aside, then you're not going to be able to project any help into the future. And of course, there's going to be opportunities long before you're gone to do something helpful for your family. When my daughter graduated from college, she needed a car to get to and from uh, her job after she graduated. And of course, she could have gone down to the local car dealer, and I'm sure they would have been happy to saddle her with a monthly payment. But we really wanted to kind of give her a better start than that. And so we were able to buy a used Honda Civic to start her down the no-car payment path. And it turned out to be a huge blessing to her. You know that car is still running? I thought, you know, maybe three years or so, that thing is still running. We never thought it would provide that much debt-free transportation to her and now to her husband for as long as it has. But if we hadn't set anything aside in savings, we wouldn't have had the $6,000 that was needed to be able to purchase that car at that time. That opportunity to bless our daughter would have come and would have gone. So we need to save because winter's coming and because opportunities are coming. And then lastly, we need to save because eternity is coming. Now the first two reasons encourage us to save. This last one basically is a warning that says, now don't save too much because eternity is coming. This sets a limit on how much we are to save. 
The reason is because it's possible to save too much, just like it's possible to spend too much. The word for saving too much is hoarding. James 5 verse 3 says it this way, you have hoarded wealth in the last days. Um, Clearly, that's not what we want to do. We want to save, but when does it turn into hoarding? If we hoard, this is what it said just a few verses later in verse 5, it says you have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. Well, that's, that's an awful image. What it's basically saying is you're treating yourself just like cattle, you know, munching and getting fatter and fatter and fatter, and it's just so that you can be slaughtered for meat. And the point that's being made is we're not a piece of meat heading for slaughter. We're people heading for eternity. We have value and in, in, in important things that we can do to make an impact for eternity. We're, we're not just here to consume and get fatter and fatter and fatter and to watch our savings and our investments get bigger and bigger and bigger so that when we die, we can be weighed and determined how fat we were when we were slaughtered. That, that's not who we are. We are people heading for eternity. And so our goal is not just to get richer and richer, but to use our time and to use our money to make an impact for all of eternity. So what is the saving limit? When have you crossed from I'm saving for the future to now I'm hoarding for the future? Well, God doesn't give us an amount. He gives us kind of a compass setting, a goal. The goal is to be rich towards God. Do we think wealth only runs on one track, a money track? But wealth and prosperity in God's eyes has two tracks to it. There is the financial track, but there's also the wisdom track, the being rich towards God, the growing in godliness track. Most people are running on this track, and they're ignoring this track. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells the story of a man who'd had a very good year financially. Again, this was mostly an agricultural economy, and so his crops had produced much more than he had anticipated. And rather than consume it all, he did the wise thing, and he built barns to store all of the extra. The problem is that he didn't look far enough into the future. This is what we read and what Jesus says about this man in Luke 12, verses 19 through 21. He says, I'll say to myself, this is the man speaking, You have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, that this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Now notice, this man was a fool not because he was rich or productive or built extra barns. No, he was a fool because he was not rich towards God. He was just running on the one track and had ignored the God track. And he thought, therefore, that the point of savings was to finally get to the point where he, could, he was set for life. The point of saving was him and his enjoyment and him being set for life. Now, this honestly, this is the American view of saving. Really what this is, this is the American view of retirement. This is the idea right here. Set aside enough so that you can then basically kick back and enjoy the rest of your life. 
Now, we're going to talk next week. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the resources God has given you. But that is not the primary point that God has for your life. You're not cattle just to consume. We are people made in God's image to make a difference with our lives. This is often referred to kind of now as the bucket list approach to life or to the future. And I just have to be honest, I just, I, I'm getting really tired of the term bucket list. Because what it implies is that before we kick the bucket and everything's drained out, these are the big important things that we must do. And what's on people's bucket lists? I want to go and see this. I want to experience that. And it reduces us down to really that's, that's all that we are here for? Is to just see some amazing things in the world before we're gone? What do we think heaven is going to be? I mean, you think we're going to be in heaven and saying, man, I wish I'd, I wish I'd gone to see the Niagara Falls. I heard that was amazing. Because, you know, what I'm seeing here in heaven is kind of, eh. No, I mean, from all indications, our heaven is going to be more amazing than anything we've ever seen on earth. So God has given us resources not so that we can see amazing things before we die. If you want to see some things, that's great. But, but don't reduce your life to a bucket that's going to kick, and before it's kicked, you get to see and do a few things. That's not the point of our life. The reason that God gives us resources and invites us to save for the future is to put us in a position where we can use our money and the free time that it allows to make an impact on eternity by doing the things that God wants us to do. So don't save just for you, just for your personal selfish list. You see, retirement isn't about self-fulfillment, but using your wisest years to build God's kingdom. That's, that's the real dream that we need to have. So while you're saving for retirement, what that means is you've got to run on this other track. You've got to invest in growing in godly wisdom in addition to growing in wealth. And what that means is it's not do this, and then by the time you're 65, then start growing in godliness and wisdom. That's what a lot of people do. But you need to start serving in the church now. You need to start growing in godliness now. You see, you don't want to be 65, let's say, with 40 years of career job experience, but only five years in serving God experience. Because what happens is, is you retire financially, and you've maybe got all of these skill sets and all of these amazing things you learned in whatever career you were in, and now you've got this extra time, and you really want to use it to serve God, but you've not really built up any experience or wisdom. I mean, I run across this a lot. People that retire, they're like, so what can I do for the church now? It's like, well, what have you been doing? Mm, not much. Well, then you can do this. Well, I, but I've got these capacities, I know, but you've not really been training yourself in wisdom. So we can use help here, but to be in leadership and to do these kinds of things, you're going to need some wisdom, so get growing. So I would encourage you to save on both tracks, to invest on both tracks, not just the money track, because eternity is coming. So if you do this, if you save, there's some amazing things that can happen. 
let's say, for example, a couple at age 25, they're earning 55000 a year. Now, you might say, well, that's not much. Don't get lost in the money. Just, just an example here. If they don't get a single raise for the rest of their life, which is almost impossible, but they live on this 10-10-80 plan we've been talking about. In other words, they, they give, they tithe 10% to God, they save 10%, and they limit their spending to the 80% that's left over, making $55,000 a year. By age 65, they will have given $220,000 to the work of God by giving. And on just an average rate of return, they will have $2.5 million in retirement if they've saved 10% a year. And then if they've been growing in wisdom and in service, they are, in other words, they are rich towards God also, just think of all they can do now at age 65. They don't need to work. They've got 2.5 million. They can live on that. And they've got wisdom. Just think of how much of God's work they can invest in now. That's the goal. That's why we save. Not just for us, but for eternity. So those are the whys. Now the hows. How can I save? Three ideas. Number one, first of all, order your priorities. You've got to get your priorities right. Again, what's God's order of priority in the three ways to use money? Give, save, and then spend, and live on the rest. Now, if you're tight financially, the natural inclination will be to not give, and if you can, maybe save first, and then later give when you can. But the problem with getting your priorities out of order, not aligned with God, is that that's your plan. And whenever you run life on your plan, if you haven't experienced this already, you will, your plan is just a much harder way to go than God's plan. It just always is. And that's the way it is when it comes to financial matters. If you're saving on your plan and not with God's priorities, what Scripture says is your savings, you're putting your savings in a purse that's got holes in the bottom of it. You think you're saving money, God's poking holes in the bottom and money's getting drained out of the bottom. This is represented in the book of Haggai in the Old Testament, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. It says, Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Quote, is, is it a time for you to yourselves be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? Let me explain what he's talking about there. They had made this decision that, you know what, let's, let's get our house in order first before we, the temple at the time was needing uh, to be repaired. It was in ruins. They'd said, you know what, that's important, we'll give to that, but first, let's get our own houses in order, and then we'll give. So giving was number two. That was the decision they made. Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. That was what they decided. This is what God says in response. Now, give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but how's that harvest going? Well, not as much as we planted. You eat, but you never have enough. There's that enough thing again. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. So what God is saying here is, okay, that's the order of priorities now you're running on, but now I just want you to think about your life. Have you noticed how your plans keep getting frustrated? Any idea why that might be? What God is saying is, 
I'm frustrating your plans. If you back burner giving, you're not on God's plan. If you're on your plan, your plan's got holes in it. I mean, would you put money in a savings account if you knew that random dollar amounts would be just taken out for no apparent reason? No. You don't want to invest in something that's got holes in it. But that's what keeps happening when we don't give first. Now, the reason it says consider your ways is because most of us don't think that God gets involved in this kind of stuff. We think that there's kind of this natural order of things, and if I work this hard and do this, then this will happen in my life. And then we keep getting surprised when things don't work out. And we don't really begin to consider, well, maybe God's involved in this, and maybe it's because my priorities are out of order. When my wife and I were first married, we, uh, we went through a period of time when but just a lot of stuff was messing up and breaking. You know, an appliance would break, and then our car would break, and, and then we were robbed. I mean, I'm sure they were disappointed. We were newly married and didn't have much, but <laughs> still, I mean, that was traumatic, and all these things were happening, and so I made the decision, you know what, we, we can't tithe right now. We can't give and replace the refrigerator and give and fix the car. So we'll get to it, but right now we can't. And stuff just kept breaking and breaking and breaking. It was like, well, not this month, then next month. And finally, we got talking, and the thought occurred to us later than I wished it had, but maybe stuff's breaking because we're not running on God's priorities. Now, you don't know for sure why stuff breaks, but we decided, you know what, we got to get back on track here. And so we started giving again as our top priority. And stuff stopped breaking. Now, Hear me clearly on this. I'm not saying tithe and your car will never break again. I, ca- I can't make that guarantee. I mean, we've had some stuff break in our house just this last week, and, and we're tithing, you know. So it's, stuff still breaks. But what I'm saying is you want fewer holes in your life rather than more. Stuff's already going to break. You don't want God punching holes in the bottom of your car or your appliances or your bank account. So you've got to put things in order. If you don't put things in order, life's just going to be harder. Number two, know your money. In other words, keep track of your finances. Proverbs 27, 23 through 24 says, Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Now, again, this is written during a period of time where there wasn't a lot of currency exchanging going on. It was mostly agriculture or crops, flocks. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secured for all generations. In other words, just because you got 100 cows today doesn't mean you can have 100 cows tomorrow. So you got to keep track of them. What this is saying is money behaves just like cows and sheep. You turn your head on them, what happens? They wander off. I mean, if if you don't keep track of your money, it's just going to disappear. And you're going to look back and say, well, what happened to all of that stuff I had? You're going to look at how much money you made in the course of a year and think, well, how come I don't have anything? Well, it's because money's like cows and sheep. This is why ranchers count their herd to see if any are missing, because they just wander off. You know, now, of course, they attach microchips to them to make sure that they can track them. What this is saying is if you don't know where every dollar went this past month, I'll promise you some of them wandered off. <laughs> they just... 
while you weren't looking, they just kind of wandered off. Now, we tend to treat money kind of like we do air. You know, what do we do with air? Well, we inhale it, and then we exhale. And then we inhale, and then we exhale. That's how we live. We just breathe. And that's the same way we tend to treat money. Money comes in, we get paid, money goes out, we pay. Money comes in, money goes out. And as long as we're breathing, we're good. As long as there's money in our account, we're good. The problem, of course, is money is not as abundant as air. (laughs) It needs to be counted. It needs to be tracked. It needs to be fenced in. It needs to be lassoed and brought home. So we need to keep track of it. So a little test for you, just personally. Do you know how much you gave last last month, February? How much did you give? Just for you. Do you know how much you spent last month? I mean, how much did you spend on groceries last month? How much did you spend on eating out? How much did you spend on entertainment? I mean, you probably know your rent and your mortgage and maybe your car payment, but how about these other things that can fluctuate? Do you know exactly how much you spent? Do you know how much you saved last month? If you don't know the answers to these or you can't find the answers real quickly, there is a good chance some of your dollars wandered off. So the amazing thing right now is it's never been easier to track money than it is now. I mean, there's apps for this stuff. You, you can track it. You just need to track it. So know your money. And then number three, make progress incrementally. Proverbs 13, verse 11 says, Dishonest money <coughs> dwindles away, but whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. The only thing more elusive than untracked money is dishonest money. That's what it says at the beginning. Dishonest money dwindles away. Untracked money wanders away. Dishonest money just evaporates. So don't get money dishonestly. The second part talks about making progress incrementally. If you want to grow money, here is the secret. Little by little by little. Now, again, we don't hear stories of people that have just set aside 10% a month for 30 years, and now they're able to do some things financially. No, we hear the stories of some guy that invented an app, and three months later, he was a billionaire. And we think, well, I I could do that. And so we, I mean, if you can, do it, but that's pretty rare. Most often, it's just little by little by little. You know, almost every time you try to figure out a way to get rich quick, you're going to end up losing, not gaining. And if you invite people to invest with you, you're going to bring them down with you. The reason is because quick money is always risky money. You know, I've got a good friend who runs a private equity firm. His average return year over year is between 30 and 35%. Not mine. Wouldn't you like that? Yeah. So I asked him, hey, could I invest some money with you? And he said, no. I thought, why not? I I, I thought we were friends. Well, we are friends. That's why you can't invest with me. (laughs) Not because he was doing it dishonestly. What he said is, you can't take the risks that I can. 
In other words, if let's say you invested 5000 with me and I lost it all, how would that impact you? I was like, that really hurt. Like for me, I, I can invest a lot more than that, and it's like, oh, well, I've got enough money where I can take those risks. You can't. You know, he said, if, if you lost this money, you'd be in trouble. That little by little by little would, <gasps> now I lost two years. Be gone. There are many, many people who can tell stories and will testify this verse is true. It's true. Now, the good news is we can all make progress monthly. Only a few of us can make 35% on our investments. Only a few of us can invent apps to make billions. I don't know if any of us can do that, but a few in the nation. But every single person, whatever they're making, wherever they're at, they can be a little further ahead next month than they are this month. But only if they give and save and control their spending. So let me give you some practical monthly steps to take in this area. First, if you have not yet done this, save an emergency fund. This is where you start in the savings category. Most recommend that you set aside at least three to six months of what you need to pay your bills. So determine what that is, and then determine, you know, put your 10% a month towards that and, be, and make that your priority until you've reached that amount. The reason you need this is because whatever plan you make, you may be sitting here thinking, yes, the 10-10-80 plan, that's the key to my future. I'm going to start doing that. And then your car blows up next month. It's like, well, not this month then. And it just... Things just, just keep happening. You, you've got to get to the point where first there's an emergency fund. And, and let me make a little note on that. When Apple comes out with the new iPhone in September, that's not an emergency, okay? <laughs> that does not constitute a technological emergency, okay? I'm talking about real emergencies. You lost your job. You can't keep a roof over your head. You can't buy food. That kind of an emergency. You don't touch it when there's, <gasps> I want that, and I have an emergency fund. No, that's not an emergency. Number two, snowball your consumer debt. Uh, if you, you've got credit card debt, that is, God would say foolish. I would say that's just plain stupid. It's just stupid. I'm not saying you're stupid. I'm saying that decision is stupid. I mean, it's just so expensive. So snowball it. What I mean by that is take the smallest amount of your debt and just take extra money and pay that down. And then when you get that paid down, then use what you were paying on that to take the next chunk and the next chunk until you're out of consumer debt. That should be priority number two, monthly. Number three, invest for future goals. Once you get these two done, then look ahead and say, hey, what can I see that's coming? I mean, if you're a parent, you've got kids, and you'd like them to go to college, my experience is they want a lot of money for college. Our two kids are graduating from college. It's expensive. So, the next thing, start saving for college. If you don't have an emergency fund, don't save for college. This is in order. Uh, if you're driving a car, at some point, that car is not going to work anymore. You're going to need another car. Now, you may decide, hey, I just want to lease the rest of my life, or I want to you know, have payments the rest of your life. That's your call. 
I think it would even be wiser to just buy a car. So maybe what if you start setting aside monthly to save? You walk into a car dealer and pay cash for a car. They don't even know how to take cash anymore. <laughs> I mean, they do, but it's just a, what? It's very surprising. And then retirement. You know, you know that's coming. Start investing for that. The last one, number four, automate the 1010 parts of the 101080 plan. Automate your giving, automate your saving. The reason I say automate, you know, what I mean by automate, of course, is you go online and you set up for it to automatically come out of your account, the giving, the savings, automatically. The reason this is, I think this is helpful. I mean, you're calling this. This is just a suggestion. Every month, your lifestyle is going to make an attempt to destroy your big plan to give and your big plan to save. So every month, you're going to face a tough and probably an emotional decision on both, especially if this is newer stuff to you. Now, for me personally, if I've got an X amount of tough decisions, I prefer to reduce those tough decisions to the smallest amount possible. In other words, I don't want to have to make those decisions every month if I've already made them. So when you automate, you don't have to make that decision every month. Now, you can always stop an automatic deposit or an automatic gift. But it requires an action to say, no, stop, rather than an action to say yes. If every month you have to decide once again, am I going to give 10%? Yes. Am I going to save 10%? Mm, Okay. Rather than, am I going to stop what I've already set up? When you automate, you're taking some of the momentum away from your lifestyle and the spending that drives it. I found it to be really helpful. You know, actually, it's interesting here at Seabreeze, the majority of people who give uh, to God's work through Seabreeze, they automate their giving. I automate my giving. I mean, I, I don't want to miss a month just because I'm busy. And I don't want to, I don't trust myself to not, you know, to be strong enough every month to give. So I just, I just automate. Now, if you'd like to do that at Seabreeze, you know, you, the offering cards, or the envelopes rather, there's a, a description of how to do that. You can go online and do that whenever you want. I do the same thing with your emergency fund. If you're going to set aside $200 a month for emergency fund, set it up with your bank, put it in a savings account, put it in some, you know, s- automate your retirement, just do that. Now, before I close in prayer, I just want to mention a couple of documents that we've posted on our website. Elliot mentioned these last Sunday, and I want to mention them again. There's two documents that we've posted under each of the messages, the four messages we're doing in this series. So you can download these documents, and they're they're additional information and primarily a set of tools to help you with budgeting, getting out of debt, those kinds of things. And we've updated them, or we've got an updated version of them this week that has a lot of hyperlinks to spreadsheets and other tools that can really help you with this. So I just want to make you aware of that. Uh, If you need help on this or this is newer to you, uh, there's a lot of great resources that, um, that can help you on that. So let's pray together. Father, we, we do thank you for entrusting to us the various amounts of resources that you have. And we recognize, first of all, that even though our name is on these dollars, that we are just the managers. We're just the stewards of what you have given. And we will be held accountable for what we've done with the resources you've given us. But we thank you for what you've given us and how it has provided for us and, and our families. And we, we really want to not only build um, the resources that you've given us, but we want to build the wisdom and the opportunities to grow and be rich towards you. 
because we know that eternity is coming. There'll be a day when we won't need money. We probably won't even think about it. But that is not this day. And today, it is something that we deal with. And so we ask for your help and wisdom. I pray for those that, that are maybe stuck, maybe stuck in consumer debt or credit card debt. God, I pray that, that you would help them to make these very hard choices to, to fence in their spending, keep track of their money, to begin to give and to begin to save. And God, I pray that you would supernaturally plug the holes in the purses of their accounts and that you would allow them to really gain traction and be free of all the stress that comes by trying to manage money apart from you. We ask this now in your name, Jesus. Amen.